licorice, drinking collard green juice, and the real-life love shack. This week, we're talking to Kate Pearson of the B-52s. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we look at interesting, fun, and delicious food from around the world. And this week, I'm talking to Kate Pearson of the B-52s. Kate and I had a great conversation. She talked about everything from going back to the land in the early 70s and hanging out in Athens, Georgia, when she started the B-52s with the self-proclaimed Deadbeat Club. Plus, Kate talks about her favorite candy and even getting married in Hawaii, which leads us on a completely different tangent talking about spam. But before we talk to Kate, let me remind you to subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the different podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you can find Destination Eat Drink. Of course, you can also go to radiomisfits.com. It's right there as well. And on my website, destinationeatdrink.com. Just click on podcast and they are all listed there for you easy. Okay, here's Kate Pearson talking with me about her grandparents' farm, a restaurant called the El Dorado in Athens, Georgia, and what it's like trying to eat when you're on the road and you've got no money in your pocket. Destination Eat Drink. Kate, you were born and grew up in New Jersey, and I was talking to a good friend of mine who's from New Jersey, and his family's Italian, so whenever I talk to him about New Jersey, he always talks about Italian food. But for you growing up in New Jersey, what were some of your favorite things to eat when you were growing up? <laughs> well, it's funny because food is one of my very favorite subjects um, to talk about. I'm not a great cook, but I just I do love to eat. And, um, you know, when I grew up in Weehawk in New Jersey first, and then my family, We after my grandmother died, we lived in her house, and we lived in Rutherford, New Jersey, and we never, ever went out to eat, except the only time I ever ate out was Rut Hut. It was this hot dog place, <laughs> and it was a little bit outside of town. I mean, it was in Rutherford, I guess, but we did this trip to Washington in high school, Right, and right. went, you know, Washington D.C. and and on the way we stopped at Rut Hut and all the kids like there's like chaos and ran and got hot dogs. That's probably the only time I ate out, except maybe getting ice cream or something with my family. We never ever ate out. But my mother was not a great cook. She didn't enjoy cooking. But my um, aunt and uncle had a farm, this sort of Pearson ancestral farm, and I used to go there in the summer. And my aunt, man, Leola, she could cook up a storm. And that's where I learned that food could be really good, like tomatoes and just everything was fresh. And I remember her giving my mother this big, big bunch of beets. And my mother was almost in tears. And she was like, what What am I going to do with these beets? Because you know? <laughs> we loved that can, you know, she liked canned spinach and stuff. But, you know, we had a very set meal plan growing up. It was like, you know, pork chops one night. Hot dogs one night, you know, that like weird Salisbury steak that was frozen, like this frozen steak, 
like probably wasn't even steak. I don't know what it was, some some kind of matter. But um, <laughs> and then like canned spinach or canned green beans. And if we had dessert, it was like that cocktail in a can, you know, fruit oh, cocktail. Fruit cocktail, in a can. yeah. And f- fighting yeah, kids yeah. fighting over who gets the one little slice of cherry. A cherry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was um, sort of a classic, I guess, you know, of that era. A lot of canned food. What did your aunt, you said your aunt, you were on a farm in the summer maybe. What kind of stuff did your aunt cook that you really liked? First of all, I would get up at like 4.30 with my uncle. I, I wasn't really good at helping. I looked back on it and I was like not helping in the kitchen much, but I did want to help my uncle go, you know, milk the cows. And they got a pony for me when I was there. So I was like riding oh, on wow. pony and helping to milk the cows. So I would get up at 4.30 and just jump out of bed and get, you know, to the the cow stalls to help milk the, milk the cows and we'd come back after going to the creamery bringing all the milk to the creamery in the truck and I got to ride in the back of the truck and it's just in heaven and my aunt would have cooked up this like huge breakfast bacon and eggs and cereal and you know just like maybe some kind of other meat or something I don't know she would always have eggs bacon cereal milk I don't think they had coffee I don't remember them having coffee. But anyway, then my uncle would always have a cookie for dessert, breakfast dessert. <laughs> Good. And then, you know, then there'd be uh, working, more working, farm work and stuff. And then there'd be lunch, that big lunch with, you know, it'd be like a, almost like Thanksgiving dinner lunch. It was just crazy, you know, sliced tomatoes and sliced cucumbers and all this great produce in the garden. She had a huge garden. They had chickens and flower garden as well you know then there was like maybe a nap time more work and then dinner and my aunt was like she's just cooking all day I don't remember really being a big like let me wash the dishes kind of thing but anyway I just that's where I learned that food could taste so what happens when you go back home to your parents house and you're like what's this canned spinach stuff (laughs) after eating all this wonderful fresh fruit or fresh uh, fresh veggies um, oh, one of my aunt's specialties was this sort of a cake, and they called it pudding. It was like a sort of like a white, really plain white cake, but they poured milk over it, and they called it pudding. Oh, wow. But anyhow, um, it was really simple cooking, you know, too. It was just like sliced tomatoes, sliced cucumbers. It was nothing fancy. They'd always have some kind of meat, you know, beef or venison, and I, I just really specialized in eating the vegetables. But, you know, when I came home, it was just kind of like, it was, uh, there were no like second helpings either. It was just like you had a little pork chop and a little bit of canned spinach. And my brother and I would have, um, you know, we'd all have, the four of us would have a little plate. And my brother had even one of those divided plates with the dividers, you know, because like lit. Can't let the food but, touch. Yeah. You know, it was all right. I, I kind of like salty. I love salty. So the canned spinach was like, I always love the canned spinach. It's super, super salty. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like not very good. It led me to believe that I hated this stuff when I was growing up, like um, frozen spinach my mom would make and also beets from the jar, you know, with that red liquid. And I would be like, oh, yeah. and I'd be like, oh, I must hate beets. And I never found out until I had my own garden and I grew and my girlfriend wanted to grow beets. And so we, I said, all right, well, you're going to eat them because I hate beets. And then I find out, oh, I actually love beets. I just hate <laughs> these terrible beets that come in a jar. Fortunately, I, um, my grandmother had this, it was really kind of like what they would in New England call the camp. You know, it was like a shack 
It was at Lake Erskine, New Jersey. It had no heat. You know, it was just like a real basic cabin kind of and summer place. And it was not on the lake, but the was near, like it was, you know, part of the Lake Erskine. And that when I go in the woods, and it was an amazing place. We go every summer. And my, I don't remember my grandmother ever really cooking either, but the whole community there was all immigrants. So there was Mrs. Glare next door, Swiss. And she introduced me to chamomile tea when I was sick one time. Oh, nice. And then there were the uh, Murphys that had, they had Irish stew. And then there were the Seifelds, and they introduced me to Volkornbrot. I'll have delicious. And, and Munster cheese, because they always had authentic cheese. Then the, there were the Gramonskis, who were Polish. I mean, it was just like a enclave of all these immigrant families. So I got to taste a bunch of different, and growing up in, initially in Weehawken, New Jersey, our neighbors were from different countries, so I got to taste a lot of different foods. And in, in Weehawken, I got invited to lunch from one of my friends, and as a Ger- she was German, and they had split pea soup. That's the only thing I really didn't like and still, the only, pr- pretty much the only food, I don't eat meat really, but um, I can't. I can't look at split pea soup. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember what happened with split pea soup, but but I was exposed to a lot of good food anyway. My girlfriend makes an amazing vegan split pea soup, and uh, when you come to visit, we'll uh, we'll make vegan split pea soup for you, Kate, and we'll we'll turn you on split pea soup. Um, All right, maybe I can get a, <laughs> get a taste for it. <laughs> I watched I watched your uh, performance on Facebook Live of the Human to Human benefit, and you did a version of the B-52 song Deadbeat Club, and you did it sort of an acoustic. It was it was almost like a torch song. It was really beautiful. I really loved it. And in that song, it reminded me, you the lyrics talk about Normal Town, which is a neighborhood in Athens where you lived and yeah. the B-52s got together. What do you remember about Normal Town in Athens? I mean, it must have been so different back in the 70s. I moved to Athens as a you know, to do a back-of-the-land thing. So sort of based, I guess, on my aunt and uncle's farm, um, I had traveled around Europe, and I met my future ex-husband, Brian Cocaine, who's from Manchester. And we had this idea, when we came back to the States after traveling around Europe for about a year and a half, and then we lived in, I met Brian, and we lived in Ireland for a while, and, and England, and uh, Newcastle. And then when we went back to the States, it was like, we're going to do back to the land. It's serious. Like, we're not going to work any job. We're going to just live on the land. So we were able to rent this amazing love. It really was a love shack. I mean, those <laughs> lyrics in Love Shack, it's set way back in the middle of a field with a funky old shack. That is, that's my house because it was a, it was a tenant farmer's house. No running water, no heat. Wow. It's built up on these kind of, uh, there was no basement or anything. And, we grew this incredible garden, and we had, I mean, the neighbors even were astounded because we used compost, and we kind of used some farming techniques that, you know, this popular back-to-the-land thing then was like a real hippie thing. So there were all these books, like Rodale books, and there were um, all this advice on how to, you know, do your back-to-the-land for people who had never done it. So we, we really got 100% into it, made compost, and we had goats, and we had goat milk, and I made goat milk goat milk cheese, and mm. I made goat cheese um, Yum. out of the goat milk. And so we had this huge garden, but so we didn't have a car, so we had bicycles, and we would 
Brian and I would go in to meet people or, you know, we met a couple of people, our neighbors. And uh, then after a little bit, we started meeting a few people in town. We went for almost a year without meeting anyone actually lived in the town of Athens. <laughs> we just knew our neighbors right, out right. in the country. Cool. And so once we started going in, there was in Normaltown, there was um, Allen's, the bar, and it was famous for having his 25-cent beer night. Perfect. So that was a real hot spot. And it's really small, just a little strip in the road. It had a jukebox, and the, it wasn't like much of a, it was just one sort of little strip on the way into Athens proper, which is also not really a big town. But but when when I got a job finally at the um, Georgia Center for Continuing Education as a, uh, a media, it was really kind of a student job, the media person that set up I still can't believe that I set up, uh, you know, slideshows for conferences. They had conferences there and stuff. So um, it was a pretty easy job. But I had a little bit of money, and when the band formed, we ate at the El Dorado, which is a vegetarian restaurant. Of course, every big college town has to have a great vegetarian restaurant. This one was, I think, the only one. It was a food co-op. But the El Dorado, Fred worked there. Fred Schneider worked there. I remember he wore these wild bell bottoms and he was a waiter. <laughs> and we, it was in the Morton building where we eventually had our, our studio, our writing studio. It was all in the Morton building. That's where it all happened. And I believe REM owns that building now. It's a very historic building and on, across from Hot Corner in Athens. And so we used to go, we had no money. So we'd go into, uh, into the El Dorado, and we, they give us what is called pot liquor. What's that? Are you familiar with no. pot liquor? <laughs> so you, you boil the collard greens. I mean, I'm an honorary Southerner because I love Southern food, and I really took to it. I mean, I loved grits, and I loved okra, the whole thing. I embraced collard greens. And so when we had our garden, we just had just tons and tons of this produce, and we canned you know, I can like 50 jars of tomatoes. I mean, we just had, we just went whole hog on the, you know, back to the land thing. But eventually, you have to earn some money. You have to do something, you know. Right. Anyway, we, Brian and I broke up, and then the band started. And so we would eat, eat this pot liquor. So you boil the, the, um, the collard greens. And, you know, you have to cook collard greens for hours. And what the, the, sort of broth that's left after you strain the collard greens is called pot liquor. It's got all the vitamins. It's just really, I guess, traditionally collard greens you would cook with. This is vegetarian, though, so uh, I don't know what all they put in it, but the juice was delicious and nourishing, so we would get, they would give us pot liquor to drink, and that would keep us going. This is your only sustenance. That is crazy. Pretty much. I mean, we would... Um, they also had this thing there called morning custard, and it was some kind of, um, well, it was like it was custard, and they would have it for breakfast, and it was just very fattening, but, you know, delicious. We um, got to have morning custard. I've never seen it anywhere else. I wonder if it's just an Athens thing, maybe, because I've never heard of it either, but I'm going to have to look that up now. I think the tradition might be carried on in the grit, which is the, uh, the health food restaurant in Athens now. It's been, uh, the Grit's been going for years and years and years, but after the El Dorado closed, uh, the Grit opened, and that's my favorite Athens restaurant. I've heard of that place. And when we go back there, everyone goes to the Grit. And what do you like to get at the Grit? 
Um, they have a you know it's a veg- another vegetarian restaurant. So, what is my favorite? There's I did have a very favorite thing. They did have the morning custard still, which is always a favorite, and just their usual vegetarian stuff. You know, a lot of um, breakfast is always amazing. So they'd have this amazing tofu breakfast scramble. I guess that's my favorite thing there. So you still make it back to Athens? You you. How much has it changed over the years? Because I know when I go back to my old college town, I haven't been there in 10 years, but when I went back with my father, I was like, wow, completely different. You know, <laughs> all the places are gone. All the clubs are gone. Um, what what is, strikes you about Athens these days? It's funny. I've been listening to John Prine because he passed away, and I, I saw yeah. him up, perform up here, and he's got that song, you know, Daddy, Take Me Back to Bird County. Mm-hmm. Um, to the town of Paradise, which is destroyed. And um, luckily, Athens was not destroyed. It was actually became, like, flourished and just became this whole other amazing place. And I always thought Athens was this very magical place because when I moved there, I was a little culture-shocked. I loved the people and the food. I was also shocked at uh, how segregated it was. Right. Um, but and, and still... Kind of, you know, I think in the college is not really very integrated or they probably lack diversity, but it was just a beautiful, magical place. I mean, the, the students and the people there were very accepting and um, it was just felt very friendly and, um, wait, I'm digressing there, but what was, um, what was even the point of what we were saying? <laughs> just talking about uh, college towns, <laughs> you know, and how much they change over oh, right, the years. Right. I drifted. My mind drifted off to some some other place. But, but you were you were back we started, in you were back in Athens in the seventies, I think. Kate. I went. Uh, my mind traveled back there. Um, you know, when I when we first moved there, and Brian and I were doing the back to the land thing, there was a feed store, like two feed stores, and there was a feed and seed, and there was a farmer's hardware, and there was really no college presence in the town. And when we started the band and we moved away in 1979, but all of a sudden, I think there was one bar it was called Friends, and um, there were there wasn't a lot of bar action happening. But man, when after we moved out, there was a bar. There's a bar in every corner, or two or three in the middle too, and a club. And you could, I mean, it really became a, a college town after we left. I mean, it was really like they closed off one street and. So it was just a walking street and they had coffee shops and news newsstands and loads and loads of coffee shops, Jittery Joe's and all these great places. Um, and we used to hang out at this place called Schlotzky's because they had, um, I think that might be a chain, I don't know. But, but anyway, they had free iced tea, like after your first iced tea, they'd just fill her up constantly. And we'd get so high on that iced tea, you know, <laughs> and make all sorts of plans. And they're... Um, we drink coffee too, and just get a buzz on. And but again, we didn't have money, a lot of money for food, so we would like drink coffee, and tea, and get really wired. That's what's great about those college towns is you can find a place and you can get the free refills, and you can just hang out with your friends, and you know, in your case, probably writing music and things like that, or just talking about stuff, solving the world's problems, and you can kill a whole afternoon that way. So that's how we got the idea of the Deadbeat Club, because we did pretty much did kill a whole afternoon there <laughs> and drinking iced tea until we called ourselves. It was a period of time, you know, when we just started the band and we called ourselves the Deadbeat Club. 
and we're just hanging out and just sort of making plans. We just started, and we would make all sorts of, you know, Ricky had this five-year plan. I, I don't know what it was. The details were it was just a general five-year plan, just to say it. Right. Um, but there were no details in there. It's just like, okay, play, write songs, go to New York. Well, we hadn't even thought of that yet, I don't think. But anyway, we hung out a lot. And then there was the famous beginning of the band, which was Hunan's Chinese restaurant, where we truly were just hanging out together. We hadn't formed the band. We were just all hanging out, crashing parties. And we went to Hunan's Chinese restaurant. And we had ordered, we didn't have enough to buy food, so we, <laughs> when you can't eat, drink. So we got a big flaming volcano, and we were with our our friend Owen Scott. So it was just the five of us and Owen. So we had six straws, it was like came in flames, and we all drank it. And then we, we, we might smoke some weed then, and then we went to Owen Scott's house to his basement. He had to write a paper, so we went upstairs. And we jammed in the basement, and we came up with a song called Killer Bees, and that was the beginning of the band. And I like to say it started by spontaneous combustion, because it was never a plan, like, you know, let's start a band, and you you can play keyboard and guitar, and you can do this. And, you know, it just started, and we started jamming, and that sort of was the template for the way we wrote and by jamming together from then on. And that's how we got the configuration, you know. It's, it's so great. And I, I think about you guys in the early days touring on those records. I imagine all of you jammed into a van or a station wagon or something driving around the country. Do you have any favorite on those early days? Do you have any favorite cities where you would go to and say, we got to eat here? <laughs> like I was talking to Marshall Crenshaw the other day and he said, when I'm in Memphis, it's like I go straight from the airport to Gus's fried chicken. I, I don't even stop at the, you know, where <laughs> I'm going. it's automatically to Gus's. Did you have any cities like that where you're like, this is a place we got to go? Well, initially we, um, our first manager who was a friend, um, Maureen McLaughlin charted a little tour when we, we, before we were signed or anything, we were just doing a little tour in a van, just like you said. And, the van was loaned to us by Cindy and Ricky's parents. It helped us a lot. Um, and first of all, they loaned us a car called Croton that we went to New York in. But anyway, we had this van and we'd cram ourselves into the, into the van. We loved, um, I can't remember really having enough money to eat very heartily, but we would go, when we were anywhere in the South, we would go to this place called Morrison's and it was Morrison's Cafeteria. And we still look, sometimes like Fred and I or, you know, Cindy were on the road and it's like, isn't there a place like Morrison's? Because it was just, you'd get in line and you could get, I mean, it was just all the classic stuff. You know, it was fried okra, black eyed peas. It was like a vegetarian, you know, you could pick a big vegetarian um, vegetable plate and it was like $2. But, you know, it had, you know, collard greens and everything. So that's where we always stop. We look for Morrison's. Morrison, would be like, oh my God, we got to get to Morrison. And in the South, there were still maybe a couple of places like that um, in Atlanta, but it's few and far between where you can get that kind of Southern plate, you know? Right. Um, so that's that was our go-to on the road place. You had a big hit with Iggy Pop, um, the song called Candy. 
in the early 90s. And it got to me thinking, uh, Kate Pearson, do you like candy? And if so, what, what kind of candy do you like? What's your favorite? Well, I'm, I'm not a, a sweet person. I'm really, I love salt. Anything salty is my, you know, if you have a, I really like to eat healthy, but if there's a bag of gaping open bag of Lay's <laughs> potato chips, you know, that's like, oh my God, that's so, it'd be like a dog with a bone sitting up on the shelf or something. I just can't, you know, stop thinking about those Lay's. So if, um, if I see them, I have to crush them with my, you know, crush them with my foot, throw them out so I don't <laughs> eat them. <laughs> um, uh, I really, the only kind of candy I like, I like salty licorice, black licorice. Oh, black licorice. Yeah. There's a, um, my friend Frederick has a store called Scandinavian Grace and they sell Swedish black salty licorice. So I like that. But I also, my birthday, which is coming up, I would like, and I guess I won't be having that dance party that I wanted, but... <laughs> Maybe on Zoom. I love chocolate cake with chocolate icing. Oh, there you go. That's a perfect birthday so cake right there. That. Yeah. You got yeah. married a couple years ago in Hawaii, and... Uh, I bring this up because we lived in Hawaii briefly. So I was wondering, do you spend much, have you spent much time in Hawaii? And if you have, what do you like to eat there? Because I, I find the food in Hawaii to be so unique and different than anything else you can find. Well, our good friend, uh, Jan, my really good friend, Jan Wagner de la Vega, she lived in Woodstock and she was the band cook for a while for one of our tours. Oh, man, we just loved her cooking. It was so amazing. And she moved to Hawaii. So I've been there a few times. We had a bunch of gigs there. Uh, my wife, Monica, and I, of course, got married there. And we vacationed there. I saw my friend Jan there. So Hawaii is just one of my favorite places in the world. And, I mean, don't you just want to You go there and you want to figure out, how can I live here? That breeze <laughs> blows through your hair. And then it's like your eyes glaze over. And it's like, how how can I live here? How can I spend the rest of my life here? And then, you know, then you take that flight home and you realize, like, maybe it's just too far. But I just love it there. I love the whole vibe. I love the big island. And I love poke. That's one of my favorite foods there. And I tried poi. That was interesting. But <laughs> poke is my favorite Hawaiian food. And fish, of course. They have great fish. I do eat fish. Yeah. So uh, poi is made from uh, the taro root, which you can see all over Hawaii. It grows in kind of swampy, marshy land. And I was never a fan of, of poi, but the interesting thing uh, we found was in Kauai, I think it was, there was this little shack. This could have been the love shack, too. There was this little shack, and this guy took taro root, and he sliced it thinly, and he fried it. And instead of potato chips, he made taro chips. And... They're well, un- I've had taro chips, and I like those. They're yeah. unbelievable. They're so good. And right out of the fryer, this guy was, it was fantastic. And he had a little mango grove behind the behind the shack, and you could go and yeah. pick a mango for 50 cents. <laughs> Just awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, Hawaii. And then the other thing about Hawaii that uh, that just uh, I love that cracks me up is their love affair with spam, which is just the oddest thing. I had to look into it, and um, I wrote a I wrote a brief article about uh, Hawaiians' love affair with spam. But you like go into a Seven Eleven, and they'll have uh, spam with rice wrapped in seaweed just sitting on the counter next to the cash register. I noticed that spam thing when I was there. Yeah, and I'd heard about it, and um, yeah, I can't really fathom 
They love it. Don't count for taste. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side of the coin, they have some of the most amazing food there as well. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing place. So now can you tell me why Spain is popular there? What happened was World War II, of course, there was a huge military presence in Hawaii even before World War II. And the soldiers had Spam in their rations. Hormel got a contract with the U.S. Army to have the rations, uh, part of them, be Spam because they needed meat or they wanted to have meat in the soldier's diet, and it was hard to serve fresh meat, so they had this weird processed gelatinous Spam thing, and they could give it to the soldiers. Soldiers didn't like it, and eventually it made its way into the uh, culture of regular everyday Hawaiians, and they embraced it. So. Wow, that's interesting. It's a good go-to, I mean, something in a can. I remember growing up, we had a very special, it was like the most expensive thing, deviled ham. That's so Who funny. Who made that deviled ham? Um, ar- armor. Armor deviled ham. Ar- something like yeah, that. Yeah, and so my dad, that was like only my dad could have that. That was like the specialty little, his little treat, you know, and I don't think I even wanted it, but he always had this little tiny can of devil ham. It's like, don't, you know, no one else can have that. <laughs> <laughs> My mom used to buy devil like ham. Sam. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. So I was, I was actually making that connection in, in my brain. Um, I wanted to ask you, Kate, in 1980, John Lennon came back with the double fantasy record, and there's interviews of him talking about coming back, and one of the reasons— that he came back after five years was he heard B-52's Rock Lobster in a club and said, oh, the rest of the world has caught up to what Yoko and I were doing in the early 70s. So my question to you is, were you in 1980, were you aware that John Lennon had said this about your band? No, because we were on tour. So I remember we were on tour and we heard about John Lennon's death. It was just devastating, but we did not hear about that part until a Rolling Stone interview came out. And I still can't, when I hear that story or read it, I still can't believe it. It's like dreamlike or something because I was such a Beatles fan. I mean, I was just the biggest Beatles fan growing up and you know, I had a big I Love John <laughs> lenticular button and you know, we had Beatles trading cards and right, everything. Right. But um, and I was the first one because I had a band in high school called the Sun Donuts. And I remember telling my bandmates, the Beatles are coming. <laughs> I heard them, I heard some announcement on the radio before they even came to the United States. I heard some interview and I was like, oh, my God. So anyway, just obviously John Lennon and Yoko. We were big fans of Yoko Ono. And Fred actually turned me on to Yoko. And I looked through the record bins and when we were in Athens and I found Elephant's Memory and a bunch of her early records and played them and just loved them. And when the band moved out of Athens we moved to this crazy house called Lake, in Lake Mayapak, New York, um, and we used to play a lot of Yoko Ono there. So we were, we were definitely influenced. And when Cindy does that yes. at the end of uh, Rock Lobster, yes. that's definitely... And we have other sounds and things um, in songs that were influenced by Yoko. So you were you were a John girl growing up, and you would have been in New Jersey when they first came to the U.S., came to New York, played yes. the Ed Sullivan show in 1964, February 9th and February 16th. Not that I'm a, 
a Beatles head or anything. Um, but, <laughs> so w- what is your memory of seeing that on, on television? Was that a, a, a groundbreaking experience for you? Did you say, this is what I want to do? Or was it just another Sunday night in the Pearson household? Oh, no, no, that it changed my life, seeing the Beatles. I mean, it was just, I, I, wasn't, I never saw them live, but I was a total Beatle maniac. I mean, I went nuts. And, um, yeah, definitely, it changed my, I mean, I had always wanted to be a musician since I can remember. My grandmother played piano and sang. My father was a guitar player in a, in a big band when he was younger. And so that was something I, I knew I wanted to do, but, um, you know, when I saw the Beatles, and also when I saw Elvis Presley on TV where they blocked his, you know, his pelvis, <laughs> right? and blank, blacked out his pelvis, that too, that was one of those moments. It's like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> but yeah, the Beatles really, um, well, just the whole journey of the Beatles from, from the early kind of innocent albums to psychedelic and through the whole mind journey, I was there, right there with them. The whole the whole trip, so cool. So we're recording this during the middle of this pandemic, and most of us are on lockdown. Um, you mentioned that you're not you're not a great cook. Uh, does Monica do most of the cooking in your house? Oh yeah, Monica is a really amazing cook, and she just made this beautiful loaf of bread yesterday, and she baked this bread and put an F. She put this F on the top of it and sent it to Fred. Oh, great. But Fred was looking at Facebook and we were texting and he said, like, send me some bread. So um, she made a big loaf for him. Oh, nice. Fred once enticed me when we lived in Mayapak. was like, oh, you know, it's really, really great for your health, you know, to eat bread with olive oil. It's really good for you. So for about a week, he and I were eating bread and olive oil and then, you know, I gained five pounds in a day. <laughs> cut that habit out but now you know we're in quarantine and she's baking all this bread and she's making crackers and she has a sourdough starter that she ordered online but it's from the it's as old you know it's from the oregon trail oh wow So it was like brought across the country and people you know kept the mother going and um it's bubbling she got she's always like look at this and it's she shows me this bubbling you know sourdough starter but i used to when i lived in georgia i used to cook I used to be a good cook, and I used to bake bread, and I used to make pies, and I did a lot of canning, but I'm just completely, she's such a good cook, I, I just, I'll be the stew chef. <laughs> Chop this up, Kate. Saute that, Kate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Any any other things? It's like Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she's a little kinder than Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, any, uh, he makes people cry. Oh, I know. It's horrible. Uh, no, no. It's really like she just makes great food, and she's really been into cooking. She's been making masks, these beautiful masks oh. she's been making. she got HEPA filters, and she had this really great fabric, so she... Brought out the sewing machine. She's also a potter. She makes jewelry. She runs Lazy Meadow and Lazy Desert. So um, uh, really good to be in pan, uh, quarantined with her. She's yeah. She is a good person to be quarantined with for the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> well, she's a prepper. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Oh yeah. You need those. We have a lot of beans and rice in the basement. You need people like that in your life. You mentioned uh, yeah. Kate's Lazy Meadow and Kate's Lazy Desert. I love these places. I love the way you've got them decorated. I love the concept. Tell tell the audience about these two places. Well, I never really thought that I would 
want to run or have or had any notion of like having a hotel or motel or retreat or any place like that, Airbnb. But one day I was just driving down Route 28 here, um, the Catskills, and I saw a for sale sign and I looked, I just got out of the car and went and looked at this land and saw this roadside hotel. It was built in 1952, had this fantasy, there were goldfinches flying around at a beautiful Sopus Creek. And I thought, wow, it'd be so much fun to decorate these rooms and, you know, just rent them out. Wouldn't that be great? And anyway, Monica really was, once we got together, it really started to happen because not only was it this fantasy of, you know, fun, but there was also, you know, infrastructure. There was all like a water treatment system we had to do because it's right, on a creek right. and we had to do, you know, a new roof and all this kind of septic stuff. So, you know, we had all this renovation to do. And then the fun part came for decorating and, um, but Monica and I worked together on a lot of it. It was really fun working together there and it became this amazing, I mean, I still, when I go there, I'm just still amazed at how groovy it is. It's really, it's got turquoise kitchens, it's um, this beautiful spot and it's a real getaway. So I'm really proud of the work we did in setting this up and, and Lazy Desert, we had all these airstreams, which was another thing. I just saw one on the roadside and for sale sign, so that was the beginning of that. Cool. And then we had some floods, and so we moved them to the driest place we thought was the driest place in the world, um, or I mean, in the United States anyway. And we have friends uh, out there in Landers, so we moved Lazy Desert. We moved the airstreams out there, and it's another completely different environment, but also just it's like going to the moon. You know, if you really want to get away from it all, there's this view of Goat Mountain, really dramatic sunset sunrise and just sand you know you could see there's not a lot blocking like the sort of desert landscape and the stars are amazing so and it's the fantasy of staying in the airstream without actually having to uh, go on the road right right to get there and also it's six miles from joshua tree which was one of the most amazing places on earth yes the, the national park it's so cool. We'll put uh, we'll put links to both of those places, uh, Kate's Lazy Meadow and Kate's Lazy Desert, on in the show notes. But right. I, I look at I look at the the pictures on the inside, and I think this is what it would be like to live inside a B fifty two song. the The decoration of the airstreams and whatnot. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, it is very um, filled. At least Lazy Meadow, it's filled with all the tchotchkes I bought on the road, and also just locally. Most of it's just local down the road yard sales and antique things and auctions were just amazing treasures i mean woodstock was founded as an arts colony right and there was a woodstock school of art so there was still there's still artwork from students and they wound up in you know some auction somebody's estate and then someone just get rid of them and there'd be really amazing paintings so i really lucked out we collected all this great artwork for uh, that, but the but the decorations and the trailers are amazing. I think it's each one is its own place, and they're all you know its own environment. North to Alaska was owned by this couple who actually he was one of the heads of the Wally Byron um, Airstream Society. So he they that couple traveled to Alaska, I think two or three times. So 
in honor of them, we decorated it as uh, North to Alaska. So, Kate, what you know, once this pandemic is over, it will be over at some point. Um, what are you working on next? What's the what's the next project? What's the next thing? Well, I'm using this uh, time, and it's time is a very stretched concept right now. Sure it's is. just so odd because we're traveling and traveling. In the past two years, uh, years, I think we did more touring than we had in previous years. So we really, really did some great tours, you know. Uh, but now, wow, this comes to a screeching halt. And so uh, it's just great to be home. I'm just realizing, wow, I just, that's why, you know, I didn't get certain things done because, you know, I was always on the road. So I'm finally finishing my solo record, which I started the second solo record. And I started a couple of years ago. Oh, great. But I'm pulling it all together, getting all the final mixes and just pulling it together. I'm not sure how it's going to be released, but I'm just getting the mixes now um, and just wrote a couple of new songs. And so that's what I'm just focusing on. That and eating some good food and exercising. And we have two beautiful dogs, German Shepherds. So we take them for walks, rain or shine. It keeps us going, keeps us getting out uh, on the trail here. And I haven't seen another soul except those dogs and my <laughs> wife in like a month. <laughs> Spend have these long conversations with the dog, right? Oh yeah, I talk. I talk a lot to um, Loki. Oh, nice. down. oh, here's Athena lying down next to me. Oh, nice. Well, uh, Kate Pearson, it's been a joy talking to you. We'll look forward to seeing that new record when it comes out. Let us know, and we'll we'll, we'll put a link to that on the website when uh, when you guys have that ready to go. That's and great. And you can put a link to uh, Guitars and Microphones, my first solo record. Yes. Yes. Oh, that. we forgot to That'd mention Guitars and Microphones. Excellent first record. We'll put Thank that on you. there as well. And. We'll look forward to seeing uh, you out on the road at another point as well once this thing lifts. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you about two of my favorite subjects, eat and drink. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks, Kate. (laughs) We didn't talk about drinking, though, but that's all right. That's okay. That'll be the next episode. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Nice talking to you. Okay, Kate Pearson, is she just the best or what? I've got links to everything we talked about, including her solo album. We've got a link to that down in the show notes. So look at that, click on that. Um, The worst part is now I want to get to Athens, Georgia so bad and check out the grits and all those cool places where Kate used to hang, even though some of them aren't around anymore, but that'll Just have to wait, I guess, just like everyone else. That's the situation that we're in. Well, uh, that's it for this week. While you're waiting for next week's show on Destination Eat Drink, head over to DestinationEatDrink.com. All the podcast episodes are there and archived, plus I've got over 40 foodie travel guides to cities all over the world. We're not traveling right now, but you can have a virtual experience checking out all of these great cities like Ortigia in Italy or checking out Lyon in France. I also just posted a blog entry about the unique candy that you can get in New Zealand. If you click on blog, you'll see it. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.